1: We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.
2: Man Overboard. I'm Jason Horton.
1: I'm Rebecca Lieb.
2: And this is Ghost Town. Well, a dream honeymoon turns into a nightmare for a new couple and their families. It's now been 10 years since George Smith vanished during his honeymoon cruise.
0: His family has never given up hope of discovering the truth, but a new development has put their quest for justice in jeopardy.
3: There's a lot of mythology around cruise ship disasters. And as a cruise ship kid to a couple of type A lawyers, I've heard a lot of them. That's why when I come upon a real live cruise ship disaster, one that is personal, violent, and unsolved, it hits pretty hard. This one is going to be a lot. Today, we're talking about the disappearance of George Smith on the Royal Caribbean cruise liner, The Brilliance of the Seas. George Smith was born on October 3rd, 1978. He grew up in New Jersey playing basketball, riding his bike, playing football on his team at Greenwich High. He loved the British office, playing jokes, and was just like a well-liked, genial jock guy in high school and later at Babson College, where he studied computer science, business, and was active at his fraternity, Tau Kappa Epsilon. Says a college friend, He was a sweet guy, not too chatty. He wasn't the center of attention at a bar, but he was well-liked by everybody. Like every college student, he partied pretty hard, but we all did. After graduation, George took a job with a computer firm in Stanford, Connecticut, but surprised everyone when he quit his job in 2003 to come to work at Cost Liquor, the family-owned liquor store in his hometown. But right before this happened, George met Jennifer Hagel. He and some friends rented a summer house in Newport, Rhode Island, and when his shower broke down, he began using the bathroom of an upstairs apartment where Jennifer's brother, Johnny, lived. George was very quiet about his relationships, at least with us, but suddenly we started hearing the name Jennifer a lot, says George's sister, Bree. My brother was a serial monogamist, but he and Jennifer seemed to get quite serious quite fast. Jennifer grew up in the nearby town of Cromwell, where her father ran a construction business and her mom worked in real estate. When they met, Jennifer was working towards a master's degree at Roger Williams University. Like his sisters called, the two got engaged and were married on June 25, 2005, at a waterside inn in Newport. They danced their first dance to Van Morrison's Into the Mystic. The next day, running late for a limo that would take them home and then to the airport, the newlyweds hurried off to their honeymoon, a two-week Mediterranean cruise. They flew to Barcelona on June 29 and boarded the Brilliance of the Seas, one of the largest of Royal Caribbean's 19 ships. The ship is manned by about 850 Royal Caribbean employees and can house as many as 2,500 guests. It has everything. Pool, entertainment, casino, a spa, a full-service medical facility staffed by doctors and nurses. Everything. The Smiths unpacked their things in the stateroom of 9062. The first few days, they had a blast. Photographs show them embracing by the pool just being newlyweds on vacation. On the second night, after many of the passengers had spent the day in Villefranche-sur-Mer, France, the noise of partying from the Smiths' room kept their neighbor, a man named Cletus Hyman, awake until almost 3.30 a.m. Something you should also know, Hyman is chief of police in Redlands and worked in law enforcement for 31 years. The next morning, Hyman walked by the guest relations desk and complained. On the third day, Friday, the ship docked in Italy, where the Smiths shared a car into Florence with a 20-year-old California college student named Josh Askin, who became their friend. Askin, who was traveling with his family, is described as an avid snowboarder, party guy, just wanting to have fun. George and Jennifer Smith met up with another group of young, kind of pro-party vacationers, four Russian-American men. The four guys were traveling with relatives in their teens or early 20s, Jeffrey, Zachary, and Greg Rosenberg and Rusty Kaufman. The men first attracted attention on Sunday night, July 3rd, five days into the cruise. The four had lit cigarettes in the ship's solarium, which contains a hot tub and was kind of the after-hours hookup area, and it was definitely non-smoking. When stopped by a ship's officer, one or more of the men allegedly cursed at him and kept on smoking. Another thing to mention, Brilliance of the Seas has an unusually high number of teenagers on board during this cruise. It was summer break, after all. After the smoking incident, the Rosenberg parents apologized, thinking the whole thing would blow over. That same day, George happened to meet the actress Tara Reid and took a very excited photo with her. After dinner, as the ship left for the Turkish coast, George and Jennifer Smith headed to the casino. Jennifer had said they hoped to meet up with another couple they had gotten to know. Instead, by all accounts, they spent much of the evening gambling separately— Jennifer playing blackjack, George at a craps table, teaching Josh Askin the game. Three of the Russian boys, including Kaufman, were also in the casino. The most detailed account of what happened in the casino comes from Askin's attorney, C. Keith Greer. According to him, Askin noticed Jennifer getting close to a handsome South African man named Lloyd Bota. When the casino closed at 2.30, the Smiths, along with Askin, went to the disco. Also in the elevator, Greer says, was Bota, who stood beside Jennifer, too close, according to Askin, He was definitely stepping over professional boundaries, says Greer. It was awkward, but I don't know that George noticed it at the time. Bota's attorney, Andrew Reer of Miami, denies that his client flirted with Jennifer at all In the disco, according to all accounts, the group was joined by the Russian guys taking shots of absinthe, not sold on the Royal Caribbean cruise lines. It was probably smuggled on the boat. Before long, everyone was completely wasted. Askin, meanwhile, kept noticing that Jennifer was sitting very close to Bota. According to Kaufman's attorney, she was, quote, draping herself over the other men. In time, George noticed, too, Jennifer's flirtation. They started arguing. Things escalated. Then Jennifer kicked her husband in the groin and walked out of the disco. According to Askin's account, Boda followed her, though Boda's lawyer says, again, no flirting, no following, nothing. Jennifer insisted she remembers nothing after leaving the casino. And at 3.30 p.m., the disco closes. Of the young men with George at the time, only two, Josh Askin and Rusty Kaufman, via their attorneys, have publicly given a version of what happened next. According to both, George was too drunk to walk unaided, so Askin and the three Russian boys helped him to his cabin. When they arrived at the room, Jennifer wasn't there. George wanted to go out and find her. According to one account, George changed his shirt and then, with Askin and the three Russian guys, headed to the solarium. Jennifer was not in the solarium. The group then guided George back to his room, arriving at 4.02 a.m., a a time verified by the room keycard's monitoring system. That was the last time George Smith was seen alive. There are two different versions of what happens next. And again, we're weaving in a lot of different versions from a lot of different attorneys. One version is from the police chief neighbor, Cletus Hyman. He says, he was awakened a few minutes after 4 a.m. by loud cheering, what sounded like a college drinking game in the Smith's stateroom. He pounded on the wall, the sound subsided for a minute or two, and then it happened again. Hyman picked up his telephone and complained to the operator. Then he heard voices drift towards the stateroom door. He thought at least one voice could be heard in the hallway. If so, this is important, someone may have left the room. Hyman tried to go back to sleep, but then he heard a loud argument on the balcony, three voices, but couldn't quite hear what they were saying. Around 4.15, Hyman saw three people leave the room. If George Smith was still alive in this room, the three men he saw could probably be cleared of any involvement in his death. But Hyman, out of respect for the FBI probe, and again, I don't know what the lines are, he still to this day will not say who he saw leave that room that night. The Smiths' other neighbors were Greg and Pat Lawyer, who heard many of the same sounds, but not all of them, and didn't see the three men leave. Two of the three young men, they said, had accents. If Josh Askin is correct, four young men had taken George back to his room, Askin, Rusty Kaufman, and the two Rosenbergs. Kaufman's attorney, Albert Dayan insists that all four left at the same time that Hyman miscounted. But if only three left, that might mean someone was still in the room with George. No one is certain who was in the room after 4.15 a.m. Cletus Hyman continued to listen to a single voice in the Smiths' room. He is certain he heard a single person talking in a conversational tone. At the same time, he began to hear louder voices for around eight minutes. There was movement in the room, and again, this was sporadic. It sounded like someone going in and out of the cupboards, drawers, maybe furniture and being moved. The thought in his mind was that they were cleaning a room, that they had a party there, they were trying to get some things together, whatever. He was relieved. But between 4.20 and 4.25 a.m., Hyman heard a horrific thud so strong that he felt the vibration from his bed. The sound was likely George Smith going over the balcony and hitting the canopy below. Ordinarily, He could hear the Smiths going in and out of their cabin. You could hear a lot of the doors open from neighboring cabins. But after the thud, Hyman did not hear the door open. Also, Royal Caribbean's monitoring system only tracks opening of a stateroom door when the key card is used from the outside, but not when the door is open from within the room to leave. So each of the five young men's lawyers are trying to say that they were not involved or were just trying to help a drunk guy out. Kaufman insists the last he saw of George Smith was when the boys left him on his bed. George was so grateful, he says, that he actually kissed one of the boys and promised to buy them a round of drinks the next day. According to Askin, he was back in his own stateroom by 5.15 a.m. So, what was Jennifer doing during all of this? We will find out after a break.
0: Or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi,
2: hello, how are you? Hello. How are you doing?
3: Are you doing well? Do I always ask that? Yeah, but, you know. It bears asking.
2: Yeah, because then, you know, maybe you look inward and you ask yourself that question. Ah. I know, looking inward is the last thing anyone wants to do. I look outward. What does the mirror say? What does my bank account say? That's <laughs> exactly what I look towards.
3: Pop that collar and get out into the world and blame somebody.
2: Tell you who I won't blame people that are listening. Thank, you. Thank, thank, you, you. Listening thank you. thank you for so listening to the much. show. Thank you to all our patrons. Thank you to our government. Mm-hmm. Got some mayors in the house. That's right. We got a little Joshua Lambert. Hello. James Harrington. Hello. David Bull. Hello. Dara Rosenzweig. Hi. Ashley Matson,
3: Ciao. Bella. I changed it up.
2: And the one and only, the cream of the crop. That's right. Our governor. Avian, Avian Noble. Noble. Nice. Thanks. And if you want bonus episodes, ad-free early episodes with no chit-chat like this, you just, listen, you just want to consume whatever it is mm-hmm. that we're putting out without Binge hearing it. about anything else. Patreon.com slash ghost town pod, and you can find a link to that in the description. Hmm. I have one Apple podcast review. Thank you to anyone who's ever given an Apple podcast review. (laughs) It's it's actually go for it.
3: I was going to say it's actually of the other ghost town that we discussed, the other ghost town pod with our friend Bree. Yeah. I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah,
2: now I'm here to support. Okay. Ghost towns want to team up. I'm good with it. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you that does not want to team up with us. Uh Uh-oh. I want to like this. One star. (laughs) I do. I want to like this. But it is so fractured. (laughs) It doesn't flow. No one cares about your cat. What? Give it a miss. Take it back. I know what episode you were listening to when you heard that. And you (laughs) would think from this review, where did I spend? Two hours talking about a cat?
3: Mm-mm. It
2: was probably if it was 30 seconds, I'd be surprised. I think yeah. I mentioned it and you said, Oh, you talked about something personal, and that was it. Oh, this, really? That's all that it was. It was such yeah. a quick thing. And understandably, you know, hey, listen, if you don't want to hear 30 seconds about a cat, that's fine.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And if I heard it, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. You know. Yeah. If it was 10, 20 minutes on, okay, maybe I don't want to hear that much about it, or maybe I would be in the mood. I don't know. But for somebody to zero in, and there's a lot of annoying things that we say in the middle of the episodes. They're not mm-hmm. like during, it's not like they were like, and then they found the body in the trunk. P.S. I got a cat. Yeah, It's exactly. not how it went. To zero in on that, mm-hmm. either you don't like cats or you're really just looking for something to be upset about.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I know they say don't take it personally. But screw it. I'm going to take it personally. Have yeah. I ever taken anything personally on here? Damn. Almost never. But to zero in, <laughs> and the fact is, both these cats almost died.
3: Yeah, I know. Th- I it's just been a is horrible. To you. It is
2: personal. And I'm going to talk about it for more than 30 seconds. They both <laughs> got this. We had them for two days. They got this Khaleesi virus. And it's the last couple of weeks has been trying to syringe feed cats. They're yeah. better now. Things are good. So, you know, T. Craig Henry is probably stoked <laughs> over it. But to zero in on that for talking about something for thirty seconds, it's like kind of like really. That's yeah. That's, that's where you're going a with little it. Harsh. It's a I little can- bit much, but I get not. Listen, you don't want to hear about things. You don't want to hear. I get that. But mm-hmm. to to reference that one thing that was so short, and I believe non egregious is says more about you than it does about me.
3: Yeah. If they're thinking of the episode that you were thinking of, yeah, very small, a lot of meat to it. But I keep thinking when people complain that they're listening to older episodes where no, no, this is I recent. really get into it.
2: this is really This is a this is a, a more recent episode, you know, mm-hmm. last couple of episodes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I was kind of like, really?
3: Yeah, well, you've just been through a lot of trauma with your cats. And that's so. not anyone
2: else's problem. That's not their problem. And, you know, if you don't want to hear anything about cats, but it's so short and to zero in on that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We've talked longer about other things that – is more egregious. Yeah, absolutely. But listen, you're you know, you have yeah. the right to your opinion.
3: You have a bad history with cats. I don't know. I get
2: it. yeah, you don't like cats. Yeah.
3: It's like when you go in and for an audition or something and it's like you look like the casting person's ex. Yeah. You're never gonna get that. Yeah. Doesn't matter how great you are. Even me? Even you.
2: I also did get a Instagram message. Hmm. And I wouldn't bring it up if it wasn't it's it's lengthy, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I think it's important to and just acknowledge somebody, you know, somebody took the time mm-hmm. to listen to an episode that just came out, mm-hmm. and okay. I don't want, I don't want to, you know, in case this person their identity, say Sarah is her name, and I'm gonna paraphrase because it is a lot.
3: Damn, it is, it is a lot. Whoa, whoa! I mean, you can't see this, but Jason is scrolling through his phone like three giant scrolls, and it's still not over. And.
2: It's not. That's not to say that what this person is writing is wrong or un, uh, uninteresting. I think just an enthusiastic person that has you know uh isn't you know somewhat of an authority on the subject, and I appreciated it. And I think I'm just going to bring it up because they took the time to do it and and listen to the episode. And oh, wow. but it was about the episode on Quine Barge, but apparently maybe it's pronounced something different according to Sarah. But it's the episode about the. The camp. Oh. And, you know, we did that episode. Yes. It was just as it came out. There was like one or two articles and Mm -hmm. it was all based on that. And I think her point of view was, is that we, I mean, I think essentially we agreed. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I think maybe was a tell on maybe how other camps are dealing with the current situation, pandemic and such, and Mm -hmm. wanted to kind of bring up like, you know, I agree with you on this camp and the way they handled things and, and that- but it is tough to run a camp. I work at a camp, and you know, he you, you prides pride in her, you know her work, and, and yeah. you know knows uh, what she's talking about. And you know, really, in the episode, I mean, I think we're both pretty good on like making it an isolated thing. Yeah, I even talked. About, I was like, listen, this camp, that camp was around eighty five years. It for eighty five years, it wasn't screwing people over. I get, yeah. I get that. It's just you know, you took money for something, you weren't forthcoming, you let people hang out to dry, and the, yeah. the powers that be are. Come out relatively unscathed, at least somewhat publicly, or yeah. have to deal with the brunt. And that goes for any kind of business, where somebody's the f- front-facing person, mm-hmm. you know, whether you talk to someone on the phone or customer service, and how difficult it is to run a camp and totally get it wasn't a slight on any other camp, but when... Places take money for something, and mm-hmm. knowing that they can't follow through mm-hmm. and aren't forthcoming, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't care who it is or what it is, and and not everyone's to blame, and it's not intentional, and it's, I'm sure the camp was like, ooh, let's set out to like make a few bucks.
3: Yeah, so what? wouldn't I haven't read this, admittedly.
2: I think it was to talk about it like, you know, it's not easy to just go to Costco and get yeah. food for all those people, and – Absolutely. I, you know, I was on a smaller scale. I worked at a pizza place and mm-hmm. we ran out of things. You'd have to go to someplace very close and it makes the pr- it's difficult to buy that much bulk, yeah. whether it's two liters of Diet Pepsi or napkins and in in it, you know, kind of messes with your price point and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But if you've sold two liters of Diet Pepsi yeah, and you took you the money to... for the Diet Pepsi, you, somebody's got to take a hit. And, and I get that it's easier said than done, but when you've taken. The money, and also I believe that you know there's I mean, hopefully there's contingency plans, but because you know Sarah knows better, you know, she probably has a lot of information on on how these things you know how these things work, and it's all easier. It's, we're sitting here; it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. I think the basics of it is is that took money, yeah, knowingly, yeah, didn't. You, hopefully, it's like a it's like a how Ponzi schemes work. Not this mm-hmm. is not a Ponzi scheme, but it's like you're taking the money, and you're like, oh, this will all work out, yeah, and then it becomes a Ponzi scheme.
3: Exactly. You have to like. Bottom line, you took money to house, feed, entertain kids. In a
2: safe environment.
3: Yes. You have to deliver that. Yeah. And this didn't. For this moment in time, it did not do that. And
2: it's, you know, she was talking about how hard staffing is and totally Mm -hmm. get that. Yeah. That's a uh, a very difficult thing, understandable, but that's not the problem. It's not the burden of the parent or the kid. Mm -hmm. It's the burden of the people running the camp and- it's really the burden of the people that are in charge, yeah. or the one that's making the taking the 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 maximum amount of benefit from it, whether you know financial or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And I you know, I'm sure nobody wants this to happen. Mm-hmm. It's not like they look for it to happen. It's like, oh, let's have a camp for eighty five years. So we can screw yeah. over one year. I totally get that. It was a sensational a sensational article, firefest of, sure, of camps. Sure. But that's the job of the Daily Mail. It's a job of. People competing in a, in a in an environment where there's you know read our news and not theirs. It's our job, yeah, to have an opinion on it and talk about it. And as long as I'm not like making something, not lying, intentionally mm-hmm. lying, going oh, you know what I mean, like you know, fifty kids were kidnapped and you know sold into you know whatever. Yeah, uh, as long as you are not doing that, it's an opinion and. Kind of still stick with it, but totally understand where she's coming from. And and obviously, it's not a slight – it's not even a slight on that camp except for this incident.
3: Exactly. Well, also just like bad leadership. You know, like I think a lot of the stuff that happened, it's like, oh, God. Like if there were people who were making decisions – like with anything, you know, I think it all – I you know, I – Think she worked at a camp, and I'm, you know, I, I don't know if she owns a camps or something like that, but I, I, think a lot of this comes from the higher ups, you know, a lot of the direction that really turns things sour isn't about the people that work there specifically, it's about the whole culture and and the leadership of that culture. So, I mean, yeah, I still stand by it too. I haven't read it, but I can't wait.
2: No, and, and I, you know, to, you know, just to be clear, it's not like she's she's not making excuses for them. Yeah. She, I think we're in an agreement on that. I think it's just to have an understanding on how. Even you know, like I even said, best laid plans don't always work out. That's fair. Totally, totally get that. But this is you know, this is something that happened, and we talked about it. And based on the information, and like these two articles lied, Mm -hmm. then that's a different story. Yeah, you know, then then happy if they if they uh, redact. Yeah, I will redact. Yeah, happy to. But until that point, it's like I can only talk about what What I can talk about. Yeah, you know. So it's it's understand it's tough, but. You can't t- take people's money yeah, for- and not provide, I, yeah. you know, and, and not be forthcoming of it. It's like, I don't, there's nothing, I don't know. There's just nothing more for me to, to say on that. And hopefully it got all worked out and everyone's fine and the camp will be back next year or, or yeah. whenever they, whenever they do it. We, I hope they do.
3: I hope they do. Listen, it's been around for a long time. Yeah. More power to you. Just yeah. get your shit together. And
2: camps are, you know, it's got to be a, a tough, uh, a tough business that I don't know what the trajectory is, how, if it's you know were summer camps more popular in 1980 1990 2000 now 50 years ago i don't know what that is and how that industry is going i hope well mhm hope people are employed and get to do what they love and and you know kids have a place to go because it's t- you know it's it's might be tough for people to like what do i do in the city or, or, or there's no place to like i want to learn archery or whatever the, ca- the case yeah. is and i hope they do flourish and i know it's probably very very tough and this is just an isolated incident.
3: Yeah. Should we get back aboard the cruise ship? I have
2: one more thing to say. Oh. My Invisalign still bothers me.
3: <laughs> All right.
2: But I won't take that out on everyone else, so.
3: Oh, no? Yeah. Sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I won't punish anyone anymore.
3: <laughs> okay, Sorry. okay. At least
2: I'm not talking about my cat. so. Or <laughs> cats right. in general.
3: That's right. Okay, let's get back to the whereabouts of newlywed... Jennifer. According to several witnesses, Jennifer was seen leaving the disco at about 3.15, just minutes before George and his friends left. It would have taken her less than five minutes to return to her room. If she had walked directly there, she would have met up with George, Askin, and the Russian men. Most people think Jennifer didn't return to the room. From the disco, she took the elevator down to Deck 9, where she was evidently too drunk and became disoriented. Instead of turning right the direction of her room, she turned left into the hallway. From there, she walked until she arrived at a locked maintenance door, where she slumped down and fell asleep. Her attorney, James Walker, has suggested that Jennifer may have been drugged. She doesn't remember anything after leaving the casino, and she sticks to that story. It's also possible that someone led her to the alcove and left her there. She forgot about it after blacking out. What we know is that when her husband tumbled overboard, she was passed out in a hallway. A security guard found Jennifer a little after 4.30, just about the same time the two other security guards responded to Cleet Hyman's complaint and found the Smith stateroom silent. On a walkie-talkie, the guard who found Jennifer buzzed the nurse on duty that morning. The nurse suggested he apply a wet paper towel to her forehead in an attempt to wake her up. Then he did. She woke, gave her name, her stateroom number, and said, I'm okay. Two more security people appeared and helped her to her feet. Jennifer was able to walk, but not very well. Two men went to her room. Two men stayed with the still-confused Jennifer. The men at the room knocked. Nobody was there, and they left. Jennifer re-entered her cabin with security at 4.57. Royal Caribbean says none of its men noticed anything amiss, no signs of struggle, blood, or foul play. She then slept there for three hours until 8 o'clock. When she awoke and George wasn't there, she didn't worry. She claimed he had slept outside their stateroom at least one other evening during the cruise. The Smiths had massage appointments at 8.30 a.m., so Jennifer just went to hers and got a massage. About the time Jennifer arrived for her massage, passengers noticed the bloodstain on their white canopy. The ship's intercom paged Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Three officers went down to meet Jennifer at the spa room. She said she had no idea where her husband was. She assumed, again, he might be sleeping somewhere else aboard the ship, which he had done before. The officers, who were from mentioning the bloodstains for fear of alarming her, escorted Jennifer to the nurse's office. A few minutes after the Smiths were paged, Askin approached a ship's officer and volunteered that he had been partying with the Smiths late the previous night. Jennifer and Askin went ashore to be interviewed by the Turkish police. Neither Rusty Kaufman nor any of the Rosenbergs were interviewed. Tara Reid was also called in for questioning and said to law enforcement, quote, How many more years are you going to pick on me? There's other new young bad girls. Move on to someone else. The Turkish police in Royal Caribbean handed investigation materials to the FBI, including the findings of found droplets of blood on the bedsheet and a towel in the stateroom. With permission from the authorities, cruise captain Lacterdes ordered the bloodstains hosed off at 6 that evening and prepared to leave Turkey. Several days later, he filed a report with authorities in the Bahamas, where the ship is chartered, terming George's disappearance a, quote, probable accident. The Smith family attorneys have used this to suggest a Royal Caribbean cover-up. The Royal Caribbean attorney says the captain acted on a premature assumption and calls the report's filing a stupid mistake. That night, Jennifer then boarded a Lufthansa flight for Connecticut. That evening, the Brilliance of the Seas left the Turkish coast and headed back into the Aegean towards Athens. Two more incidents involving the four Russian boys allegedly occurred over the next 48 hours. One evening, Greg Rosenberg had an ID dispute at the disco. Then, while ordering room service, the four of them were being belligerent and rude. Parents again were summoned, and they apologized to the cruise staff. On Thursday, July 7th, an elderly passenger had a heart attack and died. Later, a 20-year-old woman arrived at the medical center and asked a nurse about the morning-after pill. She admitted that she had been raped and videotaped by Rusty Kaufman and the three Rosenberg boys. Rusty Kaufman's attorney claims the sex was consensual and that Askin was also there. News of George Smith's disappearance spread, and on June 29, 2006, it was announced that Royal Caribbean International agreed to pay compensation to Smith's estate. The investigation continued, and in 2012, the Mafia Division of the FBI took on the case. Smith's disappearance had led to a wider interest in cruise ship reform also, so that's a good thing that happened from all of this. In 2013, the Cruise Lines International Association introduced a Passenger Bill of Rights. The same year, Smith's parents backed a bill called the Cruise Ship Passenger Protection Act. The bill would allow for greater transparency when crimes are committed on cruise ships and more federal government protection of passenger rights. Jennifer remarried in 2009 and was criticized, particularly by Smith's family, for her conduct on the night of his disappearance. She believes it was an accident caused by her late husband's intoxication, though some think it was the mob, a robbery gone bad, or a drunken mistake.
2: As soon as you said cruise ship, I knew this was, and, and I don't mm-hmm. want to, um, I don't want to besmirch another service industry,
3: mm-hmm. but
2: it, I, I I just you know I've been on a cruise ship once, and you know a lot of things can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of an episode of Case File about the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley and it was a cruise ship and there's just so many things happening mm-hmm. and I don't know what the statistics of people falling overboard are but mm-hmm. they're high enough.
3: Yeah. It's definitely. not once
2: every 30 years. It's high enough and that's what, what Occam's razor would <laughs>
3: suggest. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Because of you know your on a mo- essentially a moving thing mm-hmm. that, even, you know, that's, you know, you're moving with something that's moving. Yeah. You know? And it's, you know, it's you get on one of those things and it's like, oh, this is pretty, you know, you get to get your sea legs and, mm-hmm. and such. And the alcohol is endless.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
2: it's, you know.
3: They want to get you drunk. They want you to party. Because, you
2: know, you spend money. Yeah. You might be all inclusive, but that's not alcohol. Yeah. You get like a wristband, you scan the thing in. I saw a woman – Absolutely freak out when she got her bill the one time. I mean, it was pages and pages. It must have been thousands and thousands of that. I well, don't think she realized either that it wasn't inclusive or I feel like maybe when you're on some of these cruise ships, you feel like you're, you're in this. Your own little world where just rules are nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you, life outside of it is nothing. And all you have is what's there and you just do whatever. And I'm sure that's – you know, they want to make money and that's very yeah. fair to them. It's an expensive.
3: Like maritime law. Also, it's just like the people that are enforcing rules on a cruise ship. And I think we both have known a bunch of people – um, we've worked with some second city, uh, performers who've been on cruise ships many a time. There's like codes for when people die, when you say on the loudspeaker or like different emergencies, you're in a place where it's like the enforcement is such where their main priority is not really, I mean, it's your health and safety, but mostly it's for you to have a good time for you to party and, and not if,
2: disturb other passengers.
3: Yeah. So if things go wrong. It's like you're in the middle of a sea, you know, you've got doctors that, you know, it's, Maybe they're not as qualified as land-born doctors a lot of the time. You're just not sure. Like, you don't know what the quality control is on that. They're there to make you happy. They're an entertainment mechanism.
2: And maybe you get, you know, people together, a certain set of friends that, I don't know about these dudes. I know their lawyers say they never did anything wrong in their life. Mm -hmm. might be possible that maybe they did once. I don't know, at the very least. But you get together and you think, like, it's like Las Vegas or, you know, there's no rules. You can do whatever you want. And when you put all those things together, anyone you come across is like, oh, are they part of it? Are Mm -hmm. they a part of it? And many things can happen. And it sounds like they're on their honeymoon, right? Yeah. I mean, I've never heard a story not on television or movie where somebody kicks their new husband in the groin. I mean, it's a very – not to say that he didn't deserve it. I don't know what the situation Mm -hmm. was. I'll assume even he did deserve it, but it's like, mm-hmm. that's a really odd way to react to on a honeymoon. Yeah. And he already slept outside once. I mean, what's going yeah. – do they have a – I mean, it didn't sound like the – and I could be totally wrong. Uh-huh. Didn't Maybe they didn't have a great – relationship or yeah. does that ha- or are people just getting kicked in the groin nonstop on, on honeymoons. Yeah. If that's the case, I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> no, it's true. And I think a lot of the information I got was from this Vanity Fair article, which is really wonderful and comprehensive and well researched. And they talked about um these young men who were, you know, eighteen to twenty two, um, maybe having ties to the mob, lawyering up right away, that their identities weren't put out there as willingly as some of the other people's were, and how they were very well connected. And the idea of you know maybe a couple who like loved to party maybe tumultuous relationship not much older than these guys like again like mid 20s um and just you know the whole thing snowballing and getting in with a violent crowd maybe like doing drugs again i'm i'm making leaps in this when i think about partying but when i when i think about the conduct that was reported and verified it certainly is above and beyond my party level as it would be on a cruise ship
2: and probably the average party level yeah because then people would just be f- falling over Non-stop,
3: I suppose. exactly. They'd be, you know, but but again, I think that they're, when you get in with people and, you know, if they're capable of, you know, abusing people of rape, like, it's hard to know what else is in that, you know, orbit of bad deeds.
2: And even if it's none of those things, and it's Mm -hmm. just, he fell over and it was just, oops, I slipped, everything was fine. But it sounds like it was a very terse time and- I mean, she got married – well, I mean, she got into a relationship, developed a relationship, and got married within three years. Yeah. And was, who's to say? Maybe that's exactly the right time. But I'd be really cur- – th- these are the things I was like, I would love to hear from three different people from each of their past. It'd be like, what mm-hmm. were they like together? You know, what mm-hmm. is she like? What is he like? And not that that indicates anything. Nothing means anything, but it'd be interesting to hear. yeah. Because it sounds like maybe it wasn't a great relationship.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of working theories. Yeah, but it sounds like it was not a. I don't know. It just sounds like they they went into this in a in a way that wasn't you know wasn't conducive for a fun, safe environment, and that's even before this happened.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I think the also what I've researched. George Smith's family wants nothing to do with her. I think in a lot of cases, you know, you you bond when there's a tragedy, and and the family kind of takes in the the widower, widowy, uh, and and they become a part of the family. I think this is the opposite. This is fractured. I think they really blame her for uh, a lot of what happened, and I, you know, it's it's really tragic and horrible.
2: Also, you know, she said, like, hey, you know, he wasn't there. Hey, maybe he went and did something else. He went to the pool, got a drink, got some breakfast. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they had a rough night the night before. I feel like, though, there might be something, like, I don't know if there's text messages. This is 2006. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, maybe. Maybe maybe they they have cell phone. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But I wonder if, you know, she was like, I don't know. I, I don't know if that response is the response of someone who's like, Eh, maybe they slept out. Yeah, they're gone. I don't know. I'm just gonna go get, go get my massage. Yeah, he slept outside on the floor before, <laughs> right? Is it he slept? He slept outside the room once.
3: He slept outside the room, but like I don't know if that's like on the floor, or like in someone else's room. That that is really red flaggy to me. Like, on the honeymoon. On your honeymoon, who sleeps outside of their room? And where would you sleep too? That's
2: what I, was, I assumed that he passed out in front of the door mm-hmm. in like the you know whatever, which
3: might have been the case. Like if you're partying, but mm-hmm. also like you. If you're a couple in international waters with a bunch of strangers, you would stick together. I don't care how hard you're partying, yeah. You would probably stick no, together. You're
2: you have to be there for each other, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's should really be disputed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I don't know how independent you want to be on the thing, but it's like you got to look out for each other because yeah. you know it's a I don't know, There's a lot of people and a lot of stuff going on, and you know I don't know, it's all the movie Taken. I don't know. It sounds like a lot yeah. of it like it's the movie Taken, and not to say it's always like that, but Things happen on cruise ships. They're like a t- All the time. A, all, all, all the time. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just the. It, you'd be hard pressed to find a stretch of time where that doesn't happen.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And I just very curious the fact that she got married. Like, she just, I mean, must have just got out of the thing. She's like, well, time for, I don't know, the next cruise or something like that. And yeah. maybe the, the per- person she married was like, nah, I don't know. Why don't we just go to Atlantic City or something like that?
3: Mm. Yeah. I mean,. I mean, as someone who's been on many cruises and come out alive, I will say maybe not the best idea for this couple, clearly. Um
2: What a buzzkill.
3: God, I don't want to end on that.